Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Bruski and I'm the Deputy Director at Citizen Action of Wisconsin and welcome to another Battleground Wisconsin, which means Robert Craig is with us. Robert's the Executive Director here at Citizen Action. Robert, good to have you. Good to be with all of you uh, and happy spring. <laughs> it's good to have you, Robert. Folks, it is, uh, Robert says spring. I, I've declared it summer. Our summer's already so damn short around here. You know, it's basically Memorial Day to Labor Day. Uh, I'm considering it summer, enjoy summer or spring. Robert is right, it's beautiful. We need to take advantage of this time. It, it can be challenging the rest of the year. So folks, we have a lot to talk about. We're really, really excited because we have a, a special, I'm going to call him special guest panelist because he's informed us we're going to get two segments out of him. And we're really excited to have Isaiah Holmes from the Wisconsin Examiner with us. Isaiah, great to have you. Uh, great to be here. Thanks for having me again. Oh, we could have you every dang week because, first of all, you continue to write really critically important stories, in-depth stories, and um, we wanted to have you on today to talk about two of them. One, one was just published, and quite frankly, it isn't just a story. Uh, you have been covering the broader issue of uh, police violence um, for a long time, uh, but the big news yesterday was there were there are going to be no charges in the Joseph Mensa uh, case, and this is uh, the shooting of Jay Anderson. And then, in addition, we also want to talk to you about the story you wrote about what's going on around banning of books and what state legislators are doing about going into libraries. We'll talk about that one second, Isaiah. I want to give you an opportunity to just tell our listeners because the news really broke yesterday on Wednesday uh, about. Uh, Mensa, uh, uh, basically, you know, again, being cleared, there will be no prosecution or charges brought against them, brought against uh, him. Could you give us, give our listeners just quick um, top lines on what happened, and then we'll dive into why this is really important and a lot of uh, implications from uh, this this decision. Yeah, sure. So uh, just as a recap, uh, Jay Anderson Jr. was a 25-year-old man who was killed in uh, late June of 2016 uh, by, uh, at that time, Wauwatosa officer Joseph Mensa. Um, Mensa, at the beginning of 2021, uh, was rehired as a, a Waukesha, well, first as a Waukesha County uh, Sheriff's Deputy and now uh last I checked, he uh, was a detective at that same department. So they, so essentially what happened with, with, uh, with Jay's case, and there's a lot of lingering questions about it. Uh, Jay was parked in his car, uh, uh, sleeping in Madison park, which was a park that was familiar to him and his family. And he was kind of on his way home after being out with, with friends. He had, he had decided to celebrate his birthday about a week or so early. And his family assert that you know, he was basically sleeping off the intoxication rather than driving home. And he was sleeping in a familiar place. Uh, Mensa approached his car and uh, within a couple of minutes after waking him, interacting with him, Mensa said, uh, Mensa said, uh, told Milwaukee investigators at the time that he saw that Anderson had a uh, sidearm sitting on the passenger seat behind him, which uh, uh, made Mensa say, raise your arms and, uh, Mensa drew his weapon. And then that's where the only video that was ever captured from that night basically begins. Mensa pulled up on, uh, 
Anderson didn't immediately activate his dash camera, didn't have a body camera deployed to him at the time, and really only activated the camera after the shooting already occurred. The dash camera goes back 30 seconds and records the 30 seconds of mute audio, and then the audio kicks in after 30 seconds. Um, Mensa has gone on record in radio interviews basically saying that he he needed he 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 wanted people to see what he saw and he needed people to believe what he saw in uh, uh, in that situation. So uh, that so in December of 2016, Mensa was ruled uh, was found uh uh, the shooting was ruled justified by the district attorney's office. Fast forward to uh, today or yesterday, rather, um, attorney Kimberly Motley uh, uh, initiated a John Doe proceeding, which is a really un statute in the state of Wisconsin to basically re-examine uh, the uh, facts and merits of the Jay Anderson case and the questions of it uh, that was carried out under Glenn or under Judge Glenn uh, Yamahiro in the Milwaukee County Circuit Court. So two special prosecutors were appointed, uh, Scott Hansen, who works for a private law firm, and uh, and uh, Tim Grenke, I believe his last name is uh, pronounced. He's the La Crosse County District Attorney. Uh, and they reviewed the case uh, over the last several months. There were delays uh, uh, in, um, the, in uh, the charging decision as well. Um, and yesterday they announced that they would not pursue charges against Mensa, even though the court uh, had found that probable cause did indeed exist uh, to charge Mensa with a crime, uh, with the homicide charges, actually. And largely, the special prosecutors said that uh, uh, they couldn't prove the case beyond a reasonable doubt. They did a mock jury of Milwaukee County eligible voters, which because of all the voting laws and attacks on that, you know, whatever that means, and uh, we'll never individuals were who these mock jurors were uh and they said through that mock jury they found that they could not prove beyond a reasonable doubt that that uh mensa in his mind was not acting in self-defense even though there's a lot of questions about the case uh Wauwatosa officers essentially tampered with the scene uh they moved the gun from the car uh 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 before firefighters arrived before mpd arrived um uh uh uh, there's questions about where uh, uh, Anderson's ID came from because these officers retrieved the ID when uh, Mensa said that Anderson told him he didn't have an ID. But of course, none of Mensa and Anderson's conversations were recorded. So there's a lot of questions, and those questions did not go unaddressed uh, and uh, unaccosted yesterday, even though there uh, were no charges issued. What's most interesting that uh, your reporting showed, and I want to get your response to this, and then Robert, you can take the next question, but you talked about essentially what they said is they couldn't get beyond this idea that Mensa felt like he was at risk. And what, what you point out, and what is very disturbing, and what I think makes this story so critically important is there's all of this stuff that went on that clearly was messed up and we can get into more of that. But the fundamental thing here seems to be that the Supreme court says that even if this police officer created the bad situation, which the judge clearly is saying he did and violates the law in doing it, if that cop feels afraid, justified like and it, it, it's a very challenging is that is that right because if it is it's like 
Yeah. You know? Doesn't matter, does it? Yeah. And it's and it's and it's not just, you know, police have this at have many layers of added legal protection you, you per se uh the point that the judge was making uh not only applied to self-defense for a police officer but self-defense in general in the state of wisconsin uh you know uh people you know there are people in the state who are who still can't understand how kyle rittenhouse was found not guilty given everything that that happened there it's basically a, a minus the police officer and officer involved uh shooting aspect of it you know the self-defense stuff kind of uh uh is the parallel there. So in a lot of ways, the court was limited by um, uh, uh, the the legislature and uh, the decisions of the Supreme Court. And then there's this stuff about, you know, proving something beyond a reasonable doubt, which 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 is something the uh, district attorney would actually uh, say if, if he was in this position investigating a police shooting. Um, you know, there are there is a legal principle for that that's understandable, but it feels like what that's come down to is prosecutors don't want to take an L. They only want to take W's. And that's basically what proving something beyond a reasonable doubt, basically like I can't prove. I don't know that I can't prove with a, to a jury that beyond a reasonable doubt quote that this person is guilty. So I'm not going to pursue the charges. So it it so. So yeah, so it it, uh, it it really boiled down to kind of the situation that has been created legally in our state around these issues. Robert, I mean, this story, and thank you, Zaya, for covering it so well and so consistently, shows how broken our system is in terms of police accountability, because this has all the elements, right? You have a system rigged uh, where with this standard that says a police person, a police uh, person just has to fear for their life reasonably, that they can put that over public safety, despite the fact that they're paid way higher than average salaries, much better pension benefits than anyone else, because they're supposed to be out there protecting us and taking risks on our behalf. And we saw in Texas in the, in the Uvalde shooting, <laughs> how, how that narrative is often untrue. Uh, but then how uh, police, the thin blue wall, right? And how police are involved in investigating themselves, both these two officers that moved the gun and mysteriously came up with the ID, right? And of course, whether the ID was there or not, I mean, the man had just been woken up. Maybe he'd forgotten his ID was in there. I mean, please, right? Uh, mm -hmm. why, why was he even woken up? Mm -hmm. And of course, the judge, very interestingly, has made clear this doesn't look right, this smells bad, that he thinks there's probable cause, you point out. Judges don't just throw out probable cause, right, for a felony investigation. And, you know, there's a whole thing about departments investigating each other, so you have another department <clears throat> rotation. And so what's scary about this is the police have the power because of people's belief that they're key to public safety, even though it's really not evidence-based, uh, that none of this changes. It's very much like the mass shooting situation, but in another realm where, where people like us, because of you know, your great reporting and other, other and a lot of advocacy work, understand this. But the system seems impermeable to change. I know we're getting up to a break, but um, I wonder if after the break you could yeah. talk about what this means systemically. About yeah, there are a couple things I wanted to add to. Beautiful. Isaiah, we're going to get those comments right after the break. Folks who are listening to the Battle of Wisconsin. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Isaiah, 
commercial yeah, so rudely interrupted you, and I just did it again. Go, Isaac. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> I, I rudely interrupted. But yeah, uh, so um, Robert was mentioning kind of the system we have in the state of Wisconsin. So, you know, let's flash back to about 2014 or so uh, when the state legislature under Scott Walker passed what's called the Michael Bell Law. Bell was a guy who was killed in 2004 by Kenosha police and his father, uh, a uh, military brass kind of guy, high ranking guy, uh, really determined, pat, uh, pushed and pushed and passed the state law. And he's still fighting for transparency in his son's case. So long story short, the Michael Bell law basically said police, police departments cannot investigate their own shootings. They have to bring in an outside agency. So for a little bit in Milwaukee, that meant the state DOJ coming down and holding an investigation. That's what happened with Dontre Hamilton shooting. But, uh, it took very soon for the Milwaukee area to create what's called the Milwaukee area investigative team, which is this opaque rotating cast of investigators that make that come from every local department, not just Milwaukee County, even in Waukesha. And what they do is they pass off each other's shootings. They say, as long as we're not investigating our own shooting, it's okay. Even if we work together. So Milwaukee investigates Tosa, Tosa investigates Milwaukee, Greenfield investigates Tosa, Waukesha investigates on and on it goes right so uh and there's a lot of questions about the milwaukee area investigative team how its activities are accounted for uh uh etc because it is kind of this decentralized thing um and that played out a lot with the j anderson case so milwaukee was supposed to the milwaukee police department was supposed to investigate the j anderson case uh uh and the only purpose Milwaukee uh, Toast officers were supposed to have was to freeze the scene. And that's a quote from District Attorney Chisholm, uh, freeze the scene. And uh, they didn't do that. They tampered with the scene. And uh, in the days after that, uh, detectives and, and actually detectives from their special operations group, some of the same detectives who were key figures in all the protest drama, um, in the in the protest list drama, some of those same detectives were actually went to the medical examiner's office after Jay Anderson's shooting and were kind of viewing the body. Uh, and then they went out in the neighborhoods days after the fact and were canvassing the area for witnesses. They took video from a nearby elementary school and they're forwarding that to the Milwaukee Police Department. They're not they shouldn't be doing that, you know, but there's nothing in the Michael Bell law that says if the law is violated, this happens. It just says you shouldn't do it. Another aspect that I think is really, really important, which has gone overlooked a little bit in this case, is that less than a month after and after Mensa shot Anderson, and he had already been involved in a shooting less than a year before, and he was a new police officer for Tosa. Less than a month later, he was transferred from his role as a patrol officer uh, uh, while the case was being investigated. Uh, to the detective bureau of Wauwatosa PD. Wauwatosa PD is a department of less than 100 officers. There are not that many detectives. There are even fewer SOG guys, SOG guys. And and uh, and uh, for him to basically be a few cubicles away from them after they went out and they're canvassing in his shooting investigation, that should raise a lot of suspicion. So there is all kinds of things like that. Uh, Anderson's phones were taken, downloaded by the Milwaukee Police Department, I would assume through Celebrite or a gray key. But then the contents of those downloads were given back to the Wauwatosa Police Department for whatever reason. Um, and one of his phones are still at the Wauwatosa Police Department today, and they won't give it up to the family, which once again rings to some of the stuff that happened in the curfew. So 
there's a lot of things that are wrong, I guess, with this case that even uh, when I asked Scott Hansen, one of the special prosecutors, look, uh, uh, Ralph Salyers and, and, and Stephen Mills, the officers who took the guns out of the car, who, who, who took the gun, gun, one gun out of the car. Uh, uh, and mind you, uh, you know, uh, according to MPD reports, Anderson had a concealed carry license at the time too, but I digress. Uh, so those officers, you know, I, I said, look, those officers said that said on the scene that he doesn't have a pulse, that he doesn't, that he's not breathing. And Mensa said that the, uh, that, uh, that, uh, the subject is down. He's okay. So how can they use oh, we thought he could have still reached for the gun or still been a threat to justify removing the gun from the car. Scott Hansen said, exactly. And he just said, oh, it was a spur of the moment thing, which if you look at the video of that, and that's never been released, but if you look at that video of them taking the gun out of the car, it actually takes Mills a little bit of time of looking to retrieve the gun. It's not just reach into the front seat and grab it he's looking around in the back seat in the front seat to retrieve it so a question where is it you know yeah. first of all thank you let me ask a, a just a quick follow up my question the man's still working right you think he's a working, doctor yeah. had this made questions hospitals might not want to hire him even if the state medical board didn't remove his license. And there are problems with that. Wisconsin traditionally ranks very low in that discipline, but it still should affect one's career. In this case, it doesn't at all. And Waukesha County, let's face it, it was populated by white flight. And every time there's an affordable housing controversy, occasionally you see how that's still the case. So apparently this very wealthy county thinks a man like this makes them safer. Is that your analysis? A bit. And I mean, like it doesn't, it goes to, and, and, it, and yeah, I, I'd say so. And it, 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 there, there's the added background that Waukesha is a, is one of several communities in the state of Wisconsin right now that's dealing with white supremacist activity, um, open white supremacist activity. So, um, uh, leaving flyers around, hanging up signs and stuff. And the, and the local uh, authorities really don't like talking about, about that. So Waukesha is a, uh, is a, uh, you know, it's one of the wild counties for people who don't know what that means. There's, what is it? Waukesha, Kamalak and, um, Waukesha. Yeah. Yeah. And they're these, if you want to do the acronym differently. (laughs) Yeah. It's these like heavily Republican, um, largely white 90 plus percent white uh, areas of the, of, of the, uh, state. So, yeah, so it, it seems that there's just a large, you know, back the badge, please do no wrong mentality. And that's what facilitated his transfer there. I want to, before we move on to uh, another topic, which is unfortunate because we could talk about this for the whole show, but yeah. you brought up, you know, there's this, this case calls for legislative action. It's in, it's in the stories, both, you know, uh, people specifically saying the legislature can move on this one. There's stuff around the body cams, the idea that these things have to be turned on. It's absurd. Nobody seems to understand why that is. You brought up uh, the, the MAIT, right? This whole investigation that the Milwaukee area 
County has. Look, the judge flat out said it was fatally flawed. You had that in your story. I mean, that's pretty pretty clear language coming from a judge uh, who I, it's very apparent to me is frustrated at all of this and is in many ways saying there's not justice. The judge would not say that, but there, there appears to be a lack of justice in this. Because I can tell you, I heard a very short, almost any short news story on this is going to run with, what's the story? No charges filed. That's what I heard on NPR and their little brief little clip on it. There may be stories that go deeper, but ultimately that's the story. And it's most unfortunate um, that, that that's the situation. But folks, and Robert, I want to give you an opportunity here, right? There should be legislative action. This is a call for action, Robert, and specifically, there's a number of key things in here. I want to give you a quick op opportunity on that. Well, the standard of self-defense, the way uh, police departments are investigated, whether there is uh, actual penalties for violating those standards, why on earth? I mean, they don't do that to, to poor people, quite the opposite, right? That's an endless sense of, of penalties. Uh, and I assume, because this is always the case, and it's like the current Texas shooting, uh, at our expense, the communications around this paid for by us, by the police department, have been misleading the whole time because that standard, and no one does anything about that or sanctioning that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and just very briefly, um, you know, uh, the special prosecutors uh, stressed that just because uh, they didn't even want to call the shooting justified because um, uh, they they felt that there's there's just an attitude right now that just because an officer isn't charged with a crime after a shooting or something like this, that there's an assumption that that, that nothing was done wrong by the officer, which is not true in this case. And they, they made that clear. Um, they suggested AB. AB. I think it was 112. <laughs> yeah, 112. There you go. All, all these numbers. Yeah. yeah. AB 112, uh, which would essentially create uh, a independent re uh, review board that would review these use of force cases and provide recommendations uh, to prevent in the future in a similar way that an aviation board provides recommendations to prevent future plane crashes and stuff that's been highly successful in the past, obviously. Uh, so there are legislative uh, uh, avenues uh, uh, for that and also addressing some of the gun laws, some of the uh, self-defense laws around that. The Milwaukee Area Investigative Team really needs to uh, be thoroughly looked at. Its, its activities need to be accounted for uh, in a way that I don't have to think of. It's not a chess game to get an annual report of their activities or, or whatever. Didn't you know there is an annual report for those activities uh, until I did a story about it? Um their activities and the tone of their investigations and the real purpose of their investigations really needs to be brought into question. Well, folks, we're at time with Isaiah. We didn't even get to the other article. Robert and I are going to talk more about this because we, we promised Isaiah two segments. Isaiah, you're about I, to say something. I mean, like I could, uh, I could stay. Oh, okay. <laughs> we're coming back. Next segment, we're going to talk about another in crazy thing going on in this state. It's like it's 1950s, folks. Hey, uh, if if you if it's 80s, think Kevin Bacon, like weird book burning, <laughs> weird intersections between religion and people who are sexually repressed. Folks, you're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. Find out more after this break. 
Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We we basically have a, a guest panelist with us now in our third segment with Isaiah Holmes from the Wisconsin Examiner. Isaiah, we're going to switch topics uh, and we have to talk about another article, uh, extensive article that you wrote this week. And again, this stuff will be in our links, folks. Go read it if you want to hear more. There's certainly more detail on this next story than we'll be able to discuss in 10 minutes. But Isaiah, give give the one to two minutes on, two minutes on what this article found in terms of Republican legislators leading an effort to go after books in school libraries. Yeah. So what the art, what we found was that there appears to be a coordinated effort. Um, exactly how deeply coordinated it is, I think, remains to be seen. Um, but there appears to be a coordinated effort uh, by Republican legislat- legislators to scout out their voting districts, every school district, every school district. Um, I don't know necessarily every public library, but certainly every school district and, and library within those school districts for books that they feel are inappropriate or, or uh, shouldn't be uh, uh, provided to kids. Uh, uh, to a to a to a minors. Now, there's been a lot of focus uh, that they have put on on um, on a you know the elementary school age, but there's uh, evidence that this is going to creep up to the higher ages, even the high school level, just because of some of the emails that we gleaned. So we got some open records requests. We open records requested uh, the office of Representative Jesse James of Altoona and um, and a lot of other. Uh, 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 Republican legislatures, and basically what they were doing was they had a list of books that had been given to them uh, from a concerned parent, had been made by a concerned parent, uh, and given to them. And they went and uh, they, meaning the the lawmakers, went to these school districts and said, "I want to know if these books are in this school are uh, are available." And these are largely LGBTQ books. Some of them have more of a sex ed kind of ring to it. There are some ethnic books on there, like um, Diary of a Part-Time Indian and I'm Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter. There's social justice books on there, like uh, Sometimes People March and The Hate You Give. And they don't want kids exposed to these things. So, (laughs) Robert? So while you say uh, this is some more um, excellent journalism, and this is a a slice into the ongoing right-wing conspiracy that is escalating. They've decided to target schools. And there are a couple elements here that we've talked about in Battleground Wisconsin before. They are, and it's part of the whole critical race theory, fake issue they've made into an effective culture war issue out of nothing. Um, But first of all, there are these lists circulating from right-wing think tanks, right-wing groups as to what are the problematic books? So parents can then, you know, look match the books up against libraries, right? And then get friendly state legislators to go and make a stink about it and put pressure on educators who don't want to be in the middle of a political mailstorm and try to generate backlash. And the backlash is helpful to them because it creates the impression that our kids are being hijacked by some sort of woke conspiracy or conspiracy against our values, which helps them win elections. It's how they won the Virginia governor's race to create whip up this frenzy among their base. And this time, the, the predominant 
focus of this list, though I don't think it'll be the end of it, is LGBTQ plus books, right? And what people don't understand is, is that there is a whole science to how li school libraries or libraries and generals are stocked. They're experts, they're ratings. These are professionals, educators and librarians putting in books that have been agreed to by educators and people from with library science degrees across the country are good for kids development, help answer their questions, right? Beyond what is being provided. Uh, and kids are inquisitive and one if, if, if it's a gay kid, they wanna know about themselves and know people like them and the suicide rates are astronomical. This helps kids cope, I was a gay kid. Um, and so, but it, they don't care about any consequence. It's just good for their, they've figured out a way to make this politically effective. The other thing people don't generally realize, and I know this because this was our college debate case my senior year at University of Pittsburgh that, that we made in, on a debate topic. And that is school libraries have a lot more first amendment protection than school textbooks. That school libraries are supposed to be more of an open marketplace of ideas where kids can go and find things out on their own. So they're not wearing them where? The internet, which is full of fake information and sleazy fake news, right? To get and to get stuff that's been curated by librarians and educators. And then who knows what right-wing courts and the state Supreme Court will do with it, but there's a tradition of protecting that as a marketplace of ideas. There's much less protection on what school books and textbooks can be actually uh, you know, approved for classroom instruction. So Isaiah, it just seems like this is, they're trying to generate something and you've got them a little early with this information. You did, you did an information request, so you have it out to us, the people who need to be able to respond to this and defend educators earlier than probably they intended because they're going to generate, if they win the governor's race, uh, new bills. To, to It's not book burning outside yet, but it's essentially book burning. Yeah, yeah, in essence. And uh, there's a couple things I do want to kind of point out about this. First off, um, honesty. So the uh, it, it, it'll be interesting to see kind of how they frame this this issue, uh, whether or not even uh, Representative James backs off of this legislation or uh, or whatever. It'll just be interesting to see how they reorganize around this. Uh, but I, I say honesty because within these emails, so, for one, they, uh, and, and I say they, it's not just James, there are uh, Scott Allen who represents uh, Waukesha again, again, Waukesha is tied into this as well. Um, they say that they, they, they just don't want their uh, young, young kids being ex elementary school age, being exposed to things that they feel could be harmful or pornography or, or, uh, or, uh, or a kind of thing. Um, but these books aren't aren't pornography you know some of them may be sex ed and i and there's a conversation we had about what when you have that conversation right but just like how i had crushes on girls when i was in elementary school there are gay kids who are going to have crushes on boys or girls people of the same gender you know and and it 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 what do you do when those kids come up to you as a teacher and say I feel this way or I have questions about myself or my body. James said, you know, they should, the teacher should not be talking to the parent, the, or, or the teacher should not be talking to the student. The parents should be talking to the student, which basically means, okay, so if there's a gay student in a conservative district, your answer is to out them to the parent. And, 
and it, which is basically what that what that is. And uh, also the it's not in, entirely ingenuous uh, to say that it's just about the sexual explicit quote unquote stuff. There's racial books on here too. And in one of these emails, uh, this parent uh, says that um, she's found books in her class that teaches kids to hate cops and hate their white skin. That's a quote. She actually sends two emails to James about that. And James replies in one of the emails, agreed in, uh, in all words. And she actually ends her email by saying, we need to figure out a way uh, to change the state law so that libraries and schools are not exempt from prosecution. James, he's a law enforcement officer and he kind of compares some of this stuff to arresting people for child porn. So, uh, you know, it, 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 you know, they, they say it's about that, but then you're talking about this racial stuff. You don't want to address the racial stuff when I ask you. And then when I ask about the prosecution aspect, no, 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 we don't want to prosecute anyone, yada, yada. But then when you go over to Scott Allen's office, Scott Allen is, is pitching me statutes where you can be charged with a felony for providing a, a minor with harmful material, you know? So there's a big, honesty gap here i think uh, this, this strategy and and you'll notice they have no standards for making that determination it's like the uh, fairness on tucker carlson right they've judged it inappropriate by i don't know what standard and, right mm -hmm. I'm, I'm stepping in because this is outrageous this is outrageous first of all this is me like getting angry but these kind of folks are the lowest of the low i was i started off by comparing it to that footloose movie, right? You know, and, and those kind of people, but they were weird and out of touch back in the eighties, back in the seventies. And you know what? These folks, they're wrong. They're so wrong for what you, both of you articulately talked about in terms of that they would do this to our youth. Right. And just given what we know, uh, they, by the way, the Eau Claire uh, school district's response to him was beautiful in terms mm -hmm. of calling out, first of all, he didn't even know what he was talking about, didn't do his homework, all of it was already done, which shows he's phony. This is just a trumped up political issue, doesn't really care. Uh, and also you said just a lack of truth, basically lying about the amount of people that even cared about this. It's really, it, it appears there's not that many people uh, who are reaching out and it speaks like somehow there's some mass uh, amount of folks who are upset about this. It's not at all true. It's a lot of lies. And, you know, Jesse James comparison, when he started talking about prosecuting uh, folks, um, it, it, the, the comparison was completely wrong. And he's like, just looks terrible in all of this. I mean, not a shocker, but look, I'm, I'm, this article was great because it just, it, it, as Robert said, it, it brings to a light what's headed our way and just how awful it is, just how mean-spirited it is. Just yeah, and how, I, yeah, doesn't have our kids at interest at all. And I just want to add very, very quickly that, you know, like I said, James might, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the future as the legislature comes back in a session, whether or not James will back off of this legislation because of this article, but he's not the only character here. He's actually rather mild, mild-mannered of a character in general. Uh, uh, there's the enduring specter of the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty, Will, which there appears to be, it seems like 
there are, and there's some overlap with what Will was doing and what these parents were doing. There appears to be uh, uh, some effort to kind of spoon feed parents uh, with these policies and then Trojan, use these parents to Trojan their way in uh, to these school districts. And you mentioned a school district who pushed back. Some of them didn't. Some of them seemed really eager to participate in this. The Waukesha uh, County uh, superintendent appeared eager to talk to Alan about this kind of stuff. So, so we got we to gotta quick take a break, Isaiah. We're going to keep rolling. Uh, mm. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Isaiah, I'd interrupt you. Absolutely. Uh, your article did an amazing job of exposing the how many state legislators are involved in this. And you just mentioned before the break, unfortunately, it appears a number of school districts completely willing to go along with this just, uh, you know, repressive, undemocratic, horrible, horrible strategy. Sorry to interrupt you. You had, I think, some more thoughts on that. Oh, no, I, I was just wanting to highlight that because there's a distinct possibility. I mean, I'm kind of calling. I mean, there's a distinct possibility that that James may take the fall for for uh, for for this in, in some ways. And, and, and that would be unfortunate because the uh, the web is much, much bigger. You know, the web is much, much bigger. Uh, you, you even talked about Will, again, the Wisconsin Institute on law and liberty, I believe. Mm -hmm. uh, very now well-funded, well-networked um, legal operation here. It sounds like also a teacher even as much said, like, look, I feel like anything I want to do curriculum goes, like, literally it has to get approved by Will. Shocking. Yeah. yeah and that teacher came from Racine. Um, and then we also interviewed a, uh, a Werner uh, Lover, La Revel books, which means the revolution. And uh, they carry books, which, which, would, which would be on this list of over 50 books that was distributed. Um, and I'm getting some indication post-publication that there is uh, 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 kind of carbon copies of this list being distributed. And even when you look at the language that these legislatures use, a constituent reached out to us. It, it's the exact same language. Even Chase Sortwell, who is only mentioned on a co-sponsorship memo that didn't go anywhere, use the same language. So it, it, it's, it, it, it's clearly a larger coordinated effort. Um, and I'm sure we, we, we were gonna hear a lot more about it when the legislature came in session. Maybe this article disrupted a little, uh, some of those plans a little bit, I'm not sure, but uh, we'll, time will tell. Yeah, they've proven to be shameless and heedless because they're not held accountable, right? So mm -hmm. I would just say that we, we should recall that Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty will is not just something that randomly here, like a problem, it was created and funded by the largest right-wing funders in our country, by the Bradley Foundation. You can find their august headquarters in Milwaukee near the lake and, uh, and the, the Koch Brother Network. And, and other right-wing billionaires. I'm sure Richard Eline and Diane Hendricks and folks like that, whether there uh, are specific hard money checks that some of their money is going to these sources and going uh, to, to Will. And Will is designed to basically achieve right-wing supremacy and, and, and democracy as we know it in our country. That is the conspiracy. And this is part of it. Mm -hmm. The last thing I'd kind of say about it is uh, there, it's like a gradual, I don't, maybe state building is too dramatic of a term, but when you look at 
these air, you know, Waukesha is a great example of it. Cause you know, you got Joseph Mensa, you got the cop issue uh, there. Uh, you got this issue, which is also tied into the Waukesha school districts. Um, you got the racial, the you know, white supremacy activity, hanging up signs saying resist black terror and, and uh, all that. Uh, there appears to be kind of like this gradual effort to kind of shape and build specific areas, specific zones, more or less, in one of America's most segregated areas for the this kind of far right ideology. Um, and, uh, you know, some things are worth debate, some things are worth conversation. It's America, we can agree to disagree all that find a middle ground, but this is not that this is, this is, uh, this is, uh, this is a question, you know, it, it, it really begs the question when it comes to LGBTQ kids, like, do you, do you think that kids, that if you keep kids from reading books and seeing this stuff that they won't be gay? Cause that's not true. You're, you're, you're beating your head against the wall. If you leave that. Right. So it, we're, you're giving yeah. these people too much credit, Isaiah. Uh, I'm going to go back. These people are, 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 they don't have good intentions. That's my concern. And that's why I really appreciated you writing this article. Because if they did, they would not go about it in the way they are. Uh, and they would also wouldn't go about it the way they did, for example, in the Eau Claire School Board going after Tim Nord Nordine and in the way that they tried to go after uh, folks for just trying to create safe spaces for kids uh, who are trying to deal with extraordinarily challenging decisions and understanding uh, who, who you are when you're growing up. It's heartbreaking to see that there are people who would engage this way um, and, and try to pretend it's in the best interests of our kids because very few people believe that. And I appreciate you for raising that. And, and Isaiah, I really appreciate you taking the time to spend essentially three and a half segments with us um, and just sharing your thoughts and ideas on both of these two just really important issues that we're going to hear more from. Um, and again, I want to tell our listeners, you know, Isaiah, he doesn't trumpet himself much, but he's won multiple awards in the last like six months around his reporting that is extraordinarily well-deserved, not only on like these topics, he does phenomenal work on our environment and, you know, how uh, corporate and other forces are, are uh, impacting. And we've talked about that. So just Isaiah, keep up the phenomenal work. You are a critical uh, journalist here in our community. And we're really happy you took the time to talk with us. No worries, guys. Information wants to be free. Yes, it does. Thank you. We appreciate it. Bye-bye. Bye. With that, Robert, I'm coming to you. We've got just a few minutes left, but um there is a topic that we have to talk about. And uh, if you are an NPR listener, you may have heard the story right this week um, about the Republican National Committee and their efforts to essentially recruit and train armies of people who's, you know, who, who basically believe the election, uh, the 2020 election was stolen, uh, to work in polling locations as poll workers, not watchers in a coordinated and sophisticated network that the RNC would run, that would be connected to lawyers, that would try to be using this, of course, for reasons to support their efforts to potentially overturn another election or effort to overturn another election. Robert, tell us more. 
Yeah. So this is not this is this is part of the ongoing conspiracy to make sure that by Republicans that they never lose an election again in a battleground state. And Politico did a great investigative report focused on Michigan. You can bet your life that this is being thought about for Wisconsin as well. We're similar, similarly situated states as far as battleground states. And so it's poll workers, it's poll watchers. It is a you know network of lawyers. It is a network they want trying to find friendly district attorneys to help them either file lawsuits or block anything in return. And what it's about is disrupting um, the voting in heavily democratic areas, like predominantly black and brown communities. And by, by putting people on the inside who are then disruptive, who supposedly find the fraud that Donald Trump and his on-crack team of lawyers could never find, but have convinced that their base exists, and so they're there, but they don't, the, 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 what, the, the smart ones among them, the savvy ones are totally cynical and, and unethical. They don't believe it's there. They believe that where there's smoke, there's fire. If they have people from the inside, remember all the false claims about Pennsylvania and Michigan, Wisconsin, that, that didn't pan out in the least, right? Uh, if there are people in there making claims, it'll, it'll create that smoke that will, uh, that will jam up the election. And the real question here, Matt, is whether our side is up to meeting this escalation. Because this is what you see in pre-fascism, the moves into fascism um, it, it, in the European model. That is, you see these direct attacks on institutions like voting and they overcome it, they mob it, and the system can't respond. The system isn't can't, can't respond to the escalation. And so are we ready? Are our elected leaders have the boldness uh, to stand up to this. And you know, part of what's coming home to roost, Matt, is, look, we do all this stuff on the cheap. The last 50 years is about not investing in a well-funded government and civil service. And so we rely on all these volunteers. We have thousands of elections that actually are taking place. It's not one national or one state election. And these are very subject to take over by this kind of conspiracy, orchestrated conspiracy by one of the major parties of the country. And this gets back to the problem that the, the extent threat to democracy in, in the United States, its root is our conservative party, there's always going to be one, has decided democracy is not, not in its interest. That is not true of the other major conservative parties and any of the other advanced industrial democracies. And that is why democracy here is under such great threat. And this is part of it ongoing. Folks, that is why you need to join the citizen action organizing co-ops. Okay, we've got them all over the state. We are pushing back on all the issues that have been raised in the show and that we talk about. So if you've been a listener to this show and man, if you stuck it all the way out to this part of the show and you're still listening and you're not a member of the co-op, come on, what's wrong with you? Join, we need you. You gotta get involved. We're gonna be super, super involved in these elections this year. We're gonna continue to stay on top of these issues. We're gonna inject the issues we talked about today, particularly the stuff raised in the Mensa case, we're going to be talking to state legislators who are people who are running for office about that in our interview processes, in the campaigns, and a bunch of other issues that we also talk about. You need to get involved in citizen action. You need to get in the game. We're going to be involved in fighting and protecting for uh, democracy this fall. 
Robert just talked about that. Please, please join Citizen Action. We'll have a link to join one of the co-ops, become a member. And don't forget, we've got Brewfest. You can start by coming and visiting us on Wednesday, June 22nd. I believe it's six. We're starting at six, right? Brian, our producer. Everybody's shaking their heads yes at six. So please join us. And again, I want to thank Isaiah Holmes, award-winning Isaiah Holmes. I've just come up with a nickname for Isaiah Holmes, the most dangerous man in Wisconsin, because he is exposing stuff every week. And if you're not reading the examiner, you need to. Thank you, Isaiah Holmes. Thank you for the work you do. And I want to thank our producer, Brian Wildridge, who makes every podcast happen this week. Folks, we'll see you next week. The Battleground, Wisconsin.